And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. God's first act in the book of Genesis is to call the world into being by speech, to give names to things. And the same is true for the human creatures that God makes. The most original task given to us as human beings is to name the creatures of this world. For more than one religious tradition, this is where poetry begins, at the beginning of all things. On this first day of a new Decameron, poet Marley Yeomans repeats this original human gesture. In her poem, Plum Oak Pot, she writes, So I name you sylvan plum oak with sinuate leaves, giving you also a secret, untellable name, like wraps around dark and air with grace, or three-legged child in canopy of leaves. Marley's new novel, Caris in the World of Wonders, set in Puritan Massachusetts in 1690, seems to revel in the sheer wonder of found words, in the act of finding a lexicon of language now mostly lost to us, is an experience of stumbling into a new world, a world in which we find ourselves already named, a world of wonders. Here is Marley Yeomans reading four of her poems. Mystic Journey As far as east from west and north from south, the world was gold, a field of delicate and gently clashing stems with drooping heads, the seeds as if woven from strips of gold. The wind was mild enough to ripple all the land until my sight was trembling gold, and gold was in my breath and mouth and eyes, a fine shaken gold that seemed to invade my flesh and shiver in my branch of veins. The field was in me like a song of joy, like Mozart, who can make us want to live, like a whirl of dance that makes us wake, like a line of words that sinks into depths, the glacial lake of us, yet tosses rings, the way skipped stones make rings on surfaces. The fragile plants yielded for me to walk, caressed my arms and brushed my hands with light, brushstrokes of greeting, wordless messages. I waited gold, I lost my words, my name, forgot my house, my hard-won family. My end and my beginning went away. Then she was there, as if grown from the field, a woman dressed in blue that matched the sky, her gown and flesh transparent, so I saw that in her womb there burned a seed of gold that was itself and was the field of grain. The stems and seed heads glittered in the sun, and in the tree of me my veins caught fire. Jane Eyre in the Red Room You, motherless, a matreshka's child, bellied in a room papered with the color of old blood, mixed with water, shades of fawn and blush, you with the blood still trickling in your hair, with the blood still glazing your skin, you 
hearing the death watch beetle in the walls, you gazing around at the time-dark furniture, at the great heaps of damask cloth and fringe and tassels, like palls on the windows and on the table, and hanging blood-colored from the carved Samson pillars, waiting for the giant's thrust to topple. And I, a child, with you in the red room, peering out from the depths of the mirror, my arms and face gleaming at you, startling as a skull, or a ghost or a dead white fairy fetched from under a rock. With you in the red room, sensing the ectoplasm of a ghost, beginning to gather about a core of cold, knowing the dead man's black frame miniature in the drawer, was staring at the darkness, his eyes flung open. You startled me, you in that room of blood, you making white gestures in the deep crimson, you swimming against the red tide, the two of us trapped, the carpet swirling red around our feet, the square room trembling as if it might break, as if every inch of the room might begin to scream, the sound radiating outward from us like ripples struck from a tossed stone. The furniture hulked against the red like aisles of rock, a dark beeswax-rubbed mahogany on which your reflection glided smears of pallor. The wallpaper was flocked, the carpet dense and thick, the whole chamber like the inside of a mouth and throat. A white upholstered chair looked like a throne for something not born, some cloud, some weird emanation of swamp or moor. Once I had a friend who liked to open wide and show, past the red mouth and rose tongue, a thin white petal in the gloom of her throat. The chair was like that second tongue, a surprise upheld in the serious red of the room. And you were surely the little sister of death, as I, too, was a little sister of death. We had been two white roses on a casket. We had both known too many secrets— too soon. We had both been changed by the dead in absence. That's why we were metaphysical twins, each of our heads packed with strange furniture, uncanny scenes of icebergs, roses, and blood, uncanny stories uncurling in cellars and attics. You fainted in that room and rose again. How you saved me. I sat inside my curtains, huddled next to the sunlight that drained westward, reading you out of the red heart of the labyrinth, reading you out of the red throat that meant to swallow, reading you away from the mirror where I looked at you and you at me. What matter if your childhood was death and shouts? You were a Bewick's bird to fly away. You were a Bewick's bird to nestle in a book. I was the little fairy ghost who took your hand and went along with you out of the terrible room, all red with black and white like a furnace of alchemy, molten, busy bringing something new into being. I am your sister, your praise, your invisible friend. I endure your every cross and trial, and with you till the end. The Plum Oak Pot Fat-bellied pot, you stand on three feet, sturdy and insistently childlike, your shape like low-crotched pantaloons topped with three braided handles that are your own arms for decoration and also for hugging yourself close. And above those, the upper body, flaring outward, rich brown shine 
with hints of black, copper, and plum. I praise you for your plumpness, for your feet peeping out unglazed, for your silly pantaloons that are matte green incised with leaves, according to stalks, yes, petiolated, according to the blade, simple, according to the edge, sinuate, according to veins, pinnate, running from the midrib like a feather. Perhaps you are called chestnut oak. Perhaps you are called sinuate fantasy oak. Perhaps you are called calamus and vein oak. I do not know what you are called. Though you were bought by my mother in the town of Silva, though the woman who made you is called Sylvia, and I am glad of her name because she is Sylvan, spinning pots on her farm with leaves and songbird feathers in her hair, so I name you Sylvan Plum Oak with Sinuate Leaves, giving you also a secret, untellable name like Wraps Around Dark and Air with Grace, or Three-Legged Child in Canopy of Leaves. And then I look closely and see the fingerprints of Sylvia Coppola the Potter on the glazed clay, sealed in a kiln at 2,000 degrees. I touch them and so almost touch her fingertips, strong and capable, knowing what she is about. And I think about being clay myself, a woman, fastened to the kick wheel of life, a vessel shaped by a skillful potter, and about how there may be fingerprints, here and there, half hidden and mysterious, like a signature on the clay. The Hand I found a hand half buried in a field. Like light, it held all colors in itself. A sparkling white, perhaps alabaster, or moonlight pooled and then solidified. I bought the field. I dug around the hand, hired men to drag it from the hiding place. They marveled at the size. I crossed their palms with silver, bribing them to tell no one. I scrubbed the dirt, the lichen flourishes and stains until the hand was luminous by day or night. It shone below the moon as if it were the glove to catch that ball. In summer, I lay naked in its curl, the coolness of the skin against my skin. In fall, leaves settled in the finger's bowl. In snow, the hand was lost beneath the stars. One night I dreamed the fingers held three keys. The first was silvery, a key of rain. The second bronze, unlocking a great chest where all the souls of those to be were stored. The third was golden, notched and nicked with signs, but what it meant or why the angels flew backwards and forwards, hunting the bright key, I didn't know. I reached to them in sleep. Stories say that God could make a mountain with just one hand. To make a man took two. All I know is story. I called and woke, and dew was on my face like chilly tears. Thank you to Maurice Ferguson of Artemis Journal for permission to reprint Jane Eyre in the Red Room and The Hand. Mystic Journey originally appeared in a collection entitled Annunciation, published by Phoenicia Publishing in 2015. A reprint of this anthology will be available from Phoenicia in July 2020. Marley's new novel, Caris in the Time of Wonder, is available now from Ignatius Press. These four poems are published online at anewdecameron.com, 
along with artwork by Bruce Herman. Bruce holds the Lothlorian Distinguished Chair in Fine Arts at Gordon College, as well as the coolest title ever. Visit Bruce's website at bruceherman.com. Our theme music, Distancing Blues, is from John Leventhal. My name is Pete Candler. Please follow A New Decameron on Twitter at A New Decameron. That's A-N-E-W-D-E-C-A-M-E-R-O-N. And please invite your friends to come enjoy this feast with us.